Hey everybody, welcome back to the New Seat Podcast. Your host Chris, joined as always by my co-host Peace. And today we are so excited because we have a wonderful individual on the podcast today. A recent award winner of a few days ago, the D2 Collective, the 30 most influential people in tech, specifically in the people space. And not only that, one of the top relationship building voices on LinkedIn, which I thought was such an interesting achievement. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for her. We are joined by the absolutely wonderful Nadia Vatalidis. Nadia, welcome to the show. How are you? Amazing pronunciation, Chris. Uh, I am good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you Thank for you. that Thank intro. Oh, of course, of course, we have to. Nadia, if you could just start us off, please tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and how you got to your current role now, which is the head of people and culture at Tescarilla. Yeah, fun story. I have been working in a remote first way and remote and and I would say asynchronously since 2015, 2016 and started my SaaS tech startup journey with GitLab. Prior to that was a complete entrepreneur and helped GitLab scale to about 1,300 people. They are now doing really incredible work in AI, in open source and dev tools. So it's nice to see that from the outside in. Moved on to remote.com, amazing global employee of record and complete HR platform. So also evolved even more since I've left. Very proud of that growth that they've gone through and currently in a more meaningful growth environment at Test Gorilla. So slightly slower growth, but with no lack of ambition in alignment with our value of being bold in a head of people and culture role. We are across 51 countries with around 150 plus people. Uh, so very distributed for such a small team still. And I'm located out here in Johannesburg in sunny South Africa. I think it's worth noting, as you just mentioned, you're representing the amazing continent of Africa, myself being African. So, you know, I love, love to see it. Really just getting into it. Tell us about the ecosystem down there in South Africa, besides, you know, the great weather that you guys are having, opposed to what we're <laughs> experiencing here in the Northeast. What is the people, the people space like down there? What have you seen relevant to your counterparts here in the States? Great question. I think the accessibility is definitely not what you have in amazing uh, tech and infra advanced environments, but no lack of creativity and innovation. And so there's often such similarities that I pick up between working with people and culture leads or CPOs in the world of tech and SaaS. And then, you know, speaking at a local company, yeah, and collaborating with them. I think just the accessibility element is probably very, very different, right? Lots of infrastructure issues around Southern Africa, not just in South Africa, but other African countries as well. What is nice is it does create so much accountability and opportunity for the private sector and startups and innovators. And so really keen to see what 24, 2024 holds for local tech startups. I'm hearing very interesting news daily about what's happening in this world. There's a huge engineering community in Africa, not just in South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, even places like Zim or Zimbabwe known to the world, um, but many other locations as well. So kind of excited about our opportunities instead of challenges and yeah, it is sunny and it is warm. So the, <laughs> the sun is shining and that makes everything everything meaningful. You've had the pleasure of working at 
you know, well-known companies around the globe, GitLab, Remote, now Test Gorilla. What has that experience been like for you? It's it's quite, you know, interesting that, you know, these companies are, I'm assuming remote being that you are in South Africa. I don't think GitLab nor Remote is based in South Africa. So with that being said, you worked at all these amazing, large, well-known companies. What does leadership look like within those companies? What are some things you've learned? Great question. It is the accessibility element. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would sit in Johannesburg and work at a Silicon Valley tech startup. I never, like in 2016, I simply couldn't imagine that. Many of my um, friends and family back then thought I had some, I don't know, dodgy sidekick of of a job, maybe a stay-at-home mom pretending to work. Meantime, building an amazing startup alongside Sid and Dimitri and, and that great crew over there. But I think it was the accessibility that I never imagined would happen. And look, the pandemic made it very real for many companies. But I think the difference there was it wasn't a remote forced company. It was intentional. GitLab had people in more than 60 countries, right? The the With 1,300 people eventually while I was there, that does mean you work with so many cultures. You work with so many different countries, so many complexities, so many intersections of labor law that that in itself is just like what incredible experience to be exposed to and to have the opportunity to be part of that journey. So I've always seen it as this amazing challenge and amazing opportunity to be in. At the same time, I don't know if back in 2016, a lot of people even knew that that existed. And I think companies like GitLab, Automatic, Zapier, there's many others. There's amazing brands that are remote first. I really think they did pave the way for many other companies to go remote first. But I think my favorite part was that's now become a way of work for me is to build in public. So removing the, the pay gate, removing the lack of transparency and being able to just share with the world what I built, how I built it, why I'm doing it in that way, and then gaining access to such an incredible community of people peers in hundreds of different countries and having that shared interest about building with human-centric design and deep care about the human and people factor instead of process and HR administration. Do you think building in public is a good substitute for the element of remote work? I really like what you were saying about how because we're remote, clearly there's not like an office that you could come to. There's ping pong table, there's food, there's all these things that traditionally people have been accustomed to being sold when looking for careers. Do you think building in public is a good alternative to that in terms of cultivating culture, showing what the mission and the product is in relevance to who the who the company is serving to get the talent? Yeah, and full transparency, I have a bias for open source. HR and building in public, right? I love open source companies. I really like the meaning behind it, that inclusion of people that can't access that level of infrastructure, engineering tools, et cetera. And so, so first of all, I think that's part of the reason I love it so much. I've really learned the, the benefit of that. And the contributions you get, this is probably the best part, when you are transparent and when you build open source, People are so willing to share their opinions with you and their feedback. And whether solicited or unsolicited, you gain such amazing insight in how to continuously improve something when people are willing to share 
ideas and information and feedback with you internally or externally. And I think part of the reason GitLab is so successful today and had such an amazing journey was probably because they allowed engineers to contribute to their product and to tell them how it's going, right? And so that was a pretty smart move. Similar to remote, having a public handbook, I remember candidates coming back to us in the talent acquisition journey and just saying like, hey, I love that this page is public, but there's an error on that page. Something has changed because the recruiter told me this. And it's like, oh, thank you. We'll update it, right? You know, we'll update it and share the link with you. And like that meaningful exchange, even when you decline someone for a job, feels like they had a contribution to your company. And so why not build in public? Pay gates have also caused a lack of knowledge, right? And sharing knowledge with other people. So if you think about traditional HR, how one human resources professional in South Africa at a major bank would be building their org, right? Would be so close source that they're not sharing those ideas with peers in the industry and actually sharing notes and going, hold on, you know, we've actually tried that and it failed. Have you considered and so the community that builds the accessibility for people to gain knowledge without experience um, is something I'm passionate about. So if you imagine a student just starting out, the research, the accessibility that they can have in companies like GitLab, even Remote's Public Handbook, we are, we are becoming more transparent to test Gorilla around how we hire, why skills-based hiring is working so well in the product. And... Hopefully one day I get to start a public handbook for Test Gorilla, but I feel like that builds experience for people that don't have access to that experience firsthand and against it, it shares knowledge with the world, right? So yeah, I think, I think it does contribute a great deal to other people. Throughout your time serving as a leader, onboarding new hires, showcasing the company's culture, all these cool things. Are you starting to realize or see that candidates do support this open source practice, want to know what happens internally? Or do you think some candidates really don't care, or depending on the generation, this generation cares, this other generation doesn't care, they just want to get paid? Like, what is that dynamic like that have you seen throughout the years? There's definitely a generation element. But for me personally, I don't think it's about the generation. I don't think remote work is for everyone. The amount of self-drive, self-enablement, like mindfulness around doing the right thing when no one's looking. Not everyone has that built in, right? Not everyone feels like they can just get up in the morning, get dressed, have a great routine, sit at their desk, start their day, right? And then what most companies do, they would want to like immediately start tracking that, which breaks trust and makes the person less and less want to sit at that keyboard and be present, right? And so if you take all of that away and you just decide, look, what, what is meaningful to me? Is it meaningful to have in real life connection? Yes. Can I have that a remote first company? Yes. If you have offsites, if you have very intentional social connection time, away from work time and you start making space, money and time available for that, then I think you could probably have a lot more people interested in remote work. But I do think there's a huge factor of self-enablement, willingness to explore, learn, discover, search, right? My favorite, my favorite suggestion to new hires at new companies that work remotely is always like never memorize anything during onboarding right? Focus on 
learning how to self-serve, number one, focus on how am I going to find something again after the onboarding, right? How am I going to discover information? So learning how to search for things. And the second thing is having that knowledge that everything they learn during onboarding is most likely going to change in three, six, 12 months, depending on the company's cycle, industry, corporate or not. And so if you memorize everything, you spend such a, a deep um, amount of time in focusing on that, and you're never going to want to read it again, it's going to change and you're going to fall behind. And so if you don't memorize anything, but you learn how to find things and discover things and create that creative mind, you'll probably want to document and contribute to the documentation, open source information, product, whatever that looks like more, because it gives you the opportunity to have a bit of an impact and autonomy in that. So I think that that's certainly been my driving factor, but I've seen that behavior across many generations in my time. And so I actually think it's more a, where are you at in your journey? Where do you want to drive to an office every day? And if that's the case, awesome. But is it going to be flexible enough, right? Are you going to have enough time to do other things outside of work, have a life outside of work, have time for your family, have time for your hobbies? And so I think it is a choice. I've made this comment probably about a year ago, but I do think the future is still hybrid. I don't think it's going to be remote first. I think the future will still be a hybrid model, considering many CEOs have gone back to the office and I've observed that. But I hope they'll take remote first as an operating model or asynchronous work as an operating model. What are some hiring practices that you think help alleviate any issues when you're looking to hire remotely? Wow, great question. I think assessing whether someone can and want to actually work remotely. So it's usually a combination of things depending on the company. So if the company runs on an amazing set of values or operating principles or unifying principles or whatever that might be in that environment, right? That's one element of the company culture, but there's many others. And if there's an element of asynchronous work, you need to assess whether that person is going to be able to work asynchronously. And so things to assess during the process is even how's the communication going back and forth during the hiring process, right? Because if that becomes very glitchy or very difficult, are they going to be able to communicate asynchronously with you on Slack, right? Or is the talent acquisition team not giving the right information, providing the right touch points for that candidate, right? So a lot goes into that hiring plan and process. And those touch points become so important when you assess holistically every candidate that you bring on board. I like using a combination of things. So what is our operating model? the candidate needs to be able to align to that. So if it's remote first or asynchronous work, one, look for that. Two, I don't hire for culture. I hire for values. And so stop hiring for a specific company culture because your culture should evolve as you continue to bring new cultures, new individuals, new countries, new cities on, right, into your environment. So hire for values or whatever you call that in your company. Hopefully there is a method. Hopefully there is a like a, a set of boundaries to keep each other accountable in. And the third one would be maybe there is an amazing 
inclusivity or diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging statement? Does the person align with that? Can they work with all these different cultures, people, right? Because if they can't, that's also going to be a hard no. It's going to be really difficult to work with them. Um, and then the, the, the fourth one is, can they align to the company strategy product vision? And so I feel like it's about assessing for a number of things. I love that our current product incorporates skills and competencies, and I often add it to that values bucket. That's like for this level, for this role, what skills and competencies must the person have? Great, they've got that or they don't have that. And then do they align to our company values for that level role position in the in the company as well? So I think it's a it's a list of things. It's never one or the other. So you mentioned something, hiring for values. I know for Peace and I, Peace's face lit up when you said that. He thought that was very clever, as did I. We hear a lot of people talk about hiring for a culture fit, making sure someone fits within the culture. But you're saying, no, 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 make sure they're fitting within the company's values because the culture should be ever, you know, ever changing, constantly evolving. I agree with that. How did you come to that conclusion? Because we've never heard anyone say that before on this podcast. And we think that's absolutely fascinating. So how did you reach that point? Because I think I agree, 100% agree with you. And I think Peace does too, hiring for value. So how did you get there? Great question. Everything that society taught me up until the end of 2015 was higher for culture right? Even as an executive search expert, people that's worked with me pre-2015 would attest to this. It was always like culture fit, hire for culture, but working and living in a country that's incredibly diverse, not only an expat community, but different religions, different genders, different ethnicities. Also, we have such a global element in Johannesburg itself, but also in places like Cape Town, right? It's an ever-evolving country. We have a lot of expats from other um, African countries, refugees, etc. So being in this complex environment, I always thought it was that, but that's quite exclusive because then that does mean many people can't work in that culture. So if you think about the 90s and you were in sales, taking you way back, I was in school in the 90s, right? Giving away my age of 42, proudly. In the 90s, if you were in sales and you did not play golf, chances were very high that you would not be a culture fit for that organization. Corporate, non-corporate, I feel like it was nearly like if you wanted to do sales in the 90s, you had to play golf, right? And you had to nearly fall into that, whether that was a specific boys club or whatever that culture looked like, that is what companies built their entire environment on. But that's exclusive. I don't find that inclusive or diversifying or uplifting for women, other cultures, other genders, other ethnicities, people that speak other languages, other religions, right? And to be honest, like if you look at golf as a sport, it's an amazing sport, but golf courses are quite empty right now. And so I think even in that in itself, a lot a lot of companies didn't bring people along and go, we are going to have a golf day where we're teaching everyone how to play golf. And so you can work in our sales team because we're going to teach you how to do it. Instead, it was like, oh, you don't play golf. You can't be in sales in this company. And so how, how this has evolved for me is post-2015, joining GitLab, it was like our culture will evolve, right? It's, it, it's every time we hire a new person, it's going to impact the company culture, we're going to be intentional about the culture we tell the world we create it. We're open source. We work asynchronously. 
we have these values, right? One value was kindness. So you could be direct and very clear with someone, but you also needed to be kind. You can't be horrible about it, right? And so that that meant our culture wasn't a great environment for high-performing jerks, right? It was great for high-performing, high-potential individuals, but it wasn't great for a high-performing jerk that felt like if you wanted to be in their team, you needed to play golf. And I'm sorry, I'm picking on golf. There's so many other sports that has that, right? This is just an example in sales. But I think it is about if you hire for values, any religion, any culture, any individual in the world can find ways to align with those values if you give them the space and time um, to learn them. I don't think at any point at GitLab, I perfectly aligned to every value. It was a learning journey. There were certain values that I was bloody good at and that I could just like, yes, I get this. I know how to interview. And others, I would get feedback on during my performance reviews, which my manager was great at and go, hey, Nadia, I really need you to work on this value. I need you to. And then she would zone into specific examples. Sid allowed me at places like GitLab. I've built amazing things at Remote and Test Gorilla, but I'm using this example. Sid allowed me at GitLab to build a system where not only can you say thanks to people in Slack in a thanks channel in alignment um, to values, but you could nominate people for an actual cash bonus based on values alignment. And I was able to bring to life a beautiful Slack bot. The back end of that was Ruby and probably a bit of JavaScript. Our amazing full stack engineer built it for me in my people team, but we had a, a bonus nominator based on values. And that was like, that was ahead of its time, in my opinion. I'd love to build that again, by the way. And I probably would if someone, if someone gives me that, that, that yes on that topic. So I think we, we built this amazing values nominator bot. They still use it today. From my understanding, I don't know what's changed maybe this year. But last time I checked, they were still using it. And you could literally like use a forward slash command nominator bot it would come up on Slack and there would be a quick form, go straight into our HRIS and nominate this person for values with good examples as to why. And this person could get a bonus of $1,500 or $2,000. Now that goes a long way if you have a global distributed team. It was equitable. Everyone got the same amount. It's not about cost of living. It was about if you align to values, this was the bonus we were willing to get to give. And it did go through an appro approval process for IPO, due diligence, audit, like all the general boxes you must check. But it was such a cool experience. And it that was culture. That built values into this is our company culture, right? And so I think when you hire for values and not culture fit, you get an element of your company is going to evolve and change. Yes, you're going to be intentional what you'll allow and what you can't allow and how you give feedback on that. But when you hire for culture fit, I think you become too exclusive and some genders, ethnicities, cultures, religions can't join your company. You think this principle reigns true for not only your experience being that you're in the South African ecosystem, but as well as here in the States? Or for example, do you feel like certain just practices like the United States tends to lean more into culture per se. Again, I'm not going to be the judge of that, but yeah. do you think that this here in the States leaders, executives tend to lean more on culture and 
cultural fit and all those things opposed to what you were just saying, where it's more so the values, things that are more tangible and respectable to the differences of the individuals that we're looking to attract to our company. I think there are amazing folks in the world of HR tech, tech, futuristic companies that have already stopped hiring for culture fit. I think majority corporate enterprise hasn't and in the US and in other countries. But definitely, I, I think there's still an element that I'm not entirely sure if large corporate adapts quickly enough to more modern approaches of work in general. That's a big, hairy statement to make. But I think if you think about the change process you need to go through when you have 5,000 team members or employees, or when you have 55,000 team members or employees, it's probably really difficult to change that. And so it might be on someone's three-year plan. I understand it's a privilege to work in tech startup that is so human and people-centric, right? That's people first, literally out loud, people first companies that can make those changes like literally with a click of, the, of a finger and, and lead it. And so if I think about the amazing communities, I mean, I'm in a bunch of um, CPO and people communities. Many of those individuals are in the United States or Canada. And yes, they are definitely leading with me on this culture fit versus values aligned hiring or culture ad even is already better than culture fit. And so something I built into our manager dev program, now that you talk about this, was like asking the question to hiring managers, are you hiring for culture fit or are you hiring for culture ad and values alignment? Because if you're doing the fit element, I think we have an opportunity to chat. So schedule a time with me and let's talk through how I can help you evolve that. I don't think all companies in the world know that yet. I don't think they have the ability to, to change and adapt quickly. But I am seeing a change in the world of SaaS tech startup series A to E that care about people that want to lead the way in terms of modern HR. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We're definitely seeing some element of adaptation to how companies are looking to hire. And I think this is a good segue into you know, Test Gorilla and how you guys are focused on skill-based training, uh, sk excuse me, skill-based hiring. So we talked about you know culture, culture ad hiring, value fit hiring, and this segue into skill-based hiring. What is that like? I mean, talk about Test Gorilla. Why are you so bullish? I know we spoke offline about it for for a while, but why are you so bullish on skill-based hiring? Why is this something that's not at the forefront at a lot of hiring uh, processes? And uh, yeah, just take it from there. Yeah. So Chris, peace. If you get 50,000 applications for any job, let's, let's make it less. Let's make it 3,000. What does most HR teams do? Like if you had to take a wild guess and you take any company in the US, in San Francisco, Bay Area, or New York right now, they get, they open a role and they get 3,000 applications. What do, you, what do you think they do? Maybe they have like a filter at first that filters out a good amount of them. And then it just keeps like filtering and filtering and filtering. I would imagine something like that until you get roughly what you're looking for. And then they'll sort of really dive into the ones that they're, I guess, quote unquote, looking to hire like one that makes sense uh, and that, yeah. that going on mm. and that filter system i'm assuming is based on i don't know experience or acclaimed things they've done so to speak whatever criteria they have 
you're spot on, right? And so I've had this problem that Tess Gorilla is fixing. So during my time at GitLab and Remote, we had amazing employer brands. I mean, kudos to those marketing teams and people teams there because they knew employer brand when they saw it, right? So attraction of people was a huge factor. And I remember in Q3 2022, Remote had linked some positions to LinkedIn and we used job wrapping. So it added a bunch of locations and um, we really wanted to put remote first as a location in LinkedIn. I met with a product team, you know, amazing that they were willing to meet with me, but they couldn't make that shift. Infrastructure wise, they needed to map a location to an actual physical city, country, et cetera. And so I was trying to drive the conversation with really big companies around we need remote first to be a location because I'm actually one of those people that are hiring remote first, which means anywhere in the world, like remote only. I don't care the city or country you're in. I want to hire you no matter where you are. And GitLab had the same problem um, at that time with other talent marketplace products as well. And not just LinkedIn, so not picking on LinkedIn, doing very, very interesting work now and skills based as well. But it was really complicated. And unfortunately, because we had to wrap cities, accidentally, we got 80,000 applications in one quarter. And most people would be like, wow, I literally wanted to cry because I thought, oh, this is going to be a bad experience for everyone. There's 80,000 people looking at us to get a job with remote.com. We only have... 30 roles right now. And this right? was for one job? This was for multiple roles, all 30. Okay. So total applications in one quarter, so three months. I just have this data because I remember doing a retrospective on this. And as we were thinking through that, there were hundreds of people that we never looked at, that we could never review, that we could never speak to, that we can never, without bias and mass filtering, get down to a list that is meaningful and actually connect with, right? And that short list was harsh. I loved how many people internally cared about it that like, we must have a retrospective. We need to make sure this doesn't happen again. It's amazing that 80,000 people want to work with us, but let's just double check what went wrong and how are we going to do this? And if, if I think about it, this wasn't actually a problem anyone had fixed before that moment, right? Not in my experience. And so when I started talking to Test Gorilla, what the product does is taking all those applications, right? And put skills, skills first. So assessing skills and very soon competencies of someone's abilities first before a resume or any other bias is looked at. So you can't select top university because you're a hiring manager that went to some university that you feel very strongly about. You can't use bias based on experience or the company someone's worked at, right? Some hiring managers would go, oh, they worked at Stripe. Amazing. Or they worked at Amazon. We must hire them. It's simply not true. That's not a great way to assess people's ability to work at a company. They would simply use brand and their own knowledge and biases to make those decisions for shortlisting. And that it simply isn't inclusive or fair or you know, or equitable. And so skills-based hiring literally does a skills-based assessments top of funnel before we look at anything else and brings you a selection and clear data of how folks scored according to that assessment. We have a, an amazing 
assessment review process that our product does for us, right? So that you can Im immediately see top of funnel, the candidate you need to meet with first and go down from there. We don't have a cutoff. So we also don't have, we have a banding approach. Yes, especially with past load of applications, but we don't have a necessarily cutoff where we're like, oh, we're not going to talk to someone because they scored less than a specific percentage. Instead, we really go top down in that achievement in, in skills and matching the competencies for the role. Yes, for critical positions, there might be an, a specific experience requirement. Sometimes in engineering, when you come straight from a boot camp or university, it's really difficult to start coding at the level we need in our product, right? So sometimes there might be a qualifying question in that assessment, but way better method to assess skills and competencies than qualifications and experience alone. And so it's that top of funnel approach to, to skills and someone's ability over what's on their CV or resume. So where does Test Gorilla exist in the stack? So it's, let's say I go to company A, career page, I like this job, I click apply, and then I'm presented with this, hey, let's take a quick skills assessment. And then it goes from there. Or is it, hey, give me your information. And then, you know, I send over an assessment. Like, what is that dynamic like? When does a candidate engage with that assessment? And then what happens afterwards? What if they don't do well? Do you guys just say no thanks and say, hey, maybe next time? Or like, what is, what is that relationship like? Yeah. So at this stage of the journey, we're series A, about 16 months into series A. So still startup. So the product journey has evolved so much from where we were to where we are now. So you're right, top of funnel, our customers would add the assessment um, to the career, to the role. So if someone applies, they would get that assessment link. They can choose not to do, to do the assessment as well, right? So it's definitely opt-in do the assessment, and then the customer can review those assessments based on the results that the candidate scored. So absolutely top of funnel on the application, and everyone goes through that same single hiring funnel and hiring pipeline. Again, way more equitable than getting applications from all sides. And based on those results, a customer can then make a more holistic and conclusive decision on their shortlist. And so any, if it's a remote global company, which we have some customers that are, which is awesome, that could be anyone in the world could be applying for that role with any type of experience. In fact, we have very interesting folks at Tescorilla that doesn't necessarily come from a specific experience background. We use our own product as well. So at Tescorilla, if anyone applies for a role with us, they would also go through a Tescorilla um, skills-based assessment, top of funnel for any position, including our C-suite, um, so our Exco team, which I love because that does make it very inclusive and equitable across the entire company. What is the direct impact that has made for your TA team? How does how has this you know new funnel, so to speak, in terms of vetting you know quality candidates for Test Gorilla, serve you now, and how do you wish it served you in past positions? Yeah, I think it gives them that opportunity and I'm, I'm using a number, it's not always this number, but it gives them that opportunity to see, wow, these top 10 candidates 
needs to be interviewed now. So not only does it speed up that hiring process tremendously, if you think about time to hire, but the quality of the experience is so much better, right? Because we now have already established a few things about this candidate. And so that leads to very meaningful conversations. It's also helped us to communicate way better. Mire, our senior talent acquisition specialist, has created this amazing video which is like, this is what you can expect. And so the iterations we've been able to make, the comms we were able to send is now so planned and, and carefully curated, right? For a candidate to experience along the way, to know what's happening, what's the hiring process, what's going to come next. And if someone does not necessarily form part of that initial shortlist, that they do get immediate feedback, right? To say, listen, we have received amazing assessment results will be moving forward with someone else for now. Uh, we're also a team of uh, two people. So Lauren and Mireille in our talent acquisition team and myself leading that. But that does mean we've got to be very specific about using our product in the right way when we shortlist. We cannot meet hundreds of thousands of people. We don't have that kind of capacity for a small company of 150 people. And Depending on the roles, you would obviously make sure if you're going to be hiring a data scientist, you'll make sure that that assessment also assesses the cognitive ability of someone that needs to work in data science, for example. So the assessments are all catered and customized per position. And we're now looking at matching that for the different on our career path for the different levels in the company as well to make sure that it makes sense based on that level expectation of a specific position. So it's come a long way. It's been a beautiful journey this year and it's been amazing to dog food our own product. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that your wonderful TA team over there, Test Gorilla, created sort of video kind of outlining what's going to happen next, what is going to go on in the hiring process and something that, you know, Peace and I love to talk about and you've mentioned before is employer branding, really letting a candidate know, hey, this is what you're going to get into before you even step into the door. And I think that's so important because some people get so excited. Oh, I'm going to get this job. Looks cool. Looks like they have a cool mission. Everything they step in the door. They're like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be here in the next month. Right. How important is it for you guys at test gorilla and just in general in your career to be as transparent as possible with candidates about What's it like to work there? What's the process going to be? And all those sorts of things before a candidate even steps into the door and on that first day of work, how important is that transparency? Yeah, that's when that open source and transparency comment comes back like that full circle, right? I am, um, I mean, if Walter and Otto hears this, I would like start building a public handbook tomorrow <laughs> in Confluence, like the, the tool that's available. I wouldn't even second guess that. I, I think transparency is key to, to, to hire the right people. As you are selecting people and as you're assessing someone to work at your company, they also need to have the opportunity to assess whether they want to work for you. It needs to be mutual, right? And so if you think about all the amazing things we gain from that candidate journey, they need to have the same experience. And so I think having more transparency does help people select the right companies that they want to work for and that they want to select. That candidate journey is so important. The last two, if anything, the last two years have taught us there's hundreds and millions of thousands of people out there that are high potential, high performing individuals, but they will also not work for a company 
that they don't align with. And so having, having that upfront experience does allow them to potentially not select a specific company or not complete an assessment if the company um, that they're interested in hasn't been transparent with them around what's coming next, et cetera, right? So I think transparency is, is key. I love pay transparency. I also understand in the world of, of work, there's, multi, there's so many intersections and complexities around pay transparency. But I'm excited to see Europe, like the EU, starting to talk about getting there as well and not, there's not just the US. There's many other things you can be transparent about, right? People need to know upfront what's going to happen next and that sets them up for, for, for success. I think years ago and maybe some corporates or some enterprise companies or companies that are still operating in a more traditional fashion are still trying to catch people out during the hiring process. I don't think there's anything worse, right, for a candidate to feel like they're being tested in that way. I'd rather assess you to check holistically whether this is the right place to work here than trying to not share information with you and see how you react. I think it also shows a level of authenticity about who you're going to be working with. So you've experienced working at the early stage, late stage companies. Do you think these rules of thumb, whether it be assessments, do you think that's a little too early to implement so early on being that early stage companies are simply trying to get off the ground where maybe a lot of a lot of candidates coming through the pipeline is ideal? Do you think this is like, how would you break down the relationship between when a skill assessment is appropriate versus, I don't know, just a traditional, hey, we need we need everything we can get. Just come in and we'll go through everything one by one. I think that zero to 500 is the perfect time. So zero employees to 500, perfect time to use a product like ours because you don't have talent acquisition. Chances are you don't have a head of people and culture and you don't know how to hire. And, and I say this with so much confidence. Founders are such incredible humans. They want to like change the world, create a product, create an opportunity, hire people, right? But they don't necessarily have the time, tools, team to do all of that. And so by using that, it speeds things up for them. It gives them the opportunity to sort of stop the noise for a second, considering a lot of startups do get a lot of applications, right? And really focus on skills and competencies first, and then experience and qualifications second. So I think it's a great opportunity from zero to 500. We are so fortunate to also have customers that are much larger than that. I love how a finance team or sales team or engineering team would start using our product in their team, piloting it, and then you see it nearly like a tree growing across other departments because they've had the opportunity to see how does that impact my talent acquisition team, hiring pipeline, time to hire, data metrics, so important in the world of people and culture to help make decisions, right? And so I think eventually it spreads through an entire company. So we have certainly been fortunate to work with very large, amazing companies and brands as well. But zero to 500 is such a great time to start. And if I had the opportunity to create my own startup, I would certainly consider that, considering the vast amount of applications I've seen in the past and spending, I don't know, two minutes on a resume, it's not a great way to make decisions, right? And the filtering option in most ATSs have certainly approved over the last 10 years, in my opinion. I still don't think 
they are necessarily giving you the right selection. And so that in itself, filters in itself can create a massive bias depending on what you're putting into it. And that's manually added by people, right? So a lot can go wrong during filtering as well. Certainly could, certainly could. So Nadia, you have become such a powerful voice in the community of, uh, in the in the people community, in the people space itself. Obviously, I mentioned in the intro how uh, esteemed you are in the LinkedIn community and just in general. But, you know, growing up or starting your career, whatever it may be, who were the people that inspired you? Who are your mentors? Who are the people you've taken so much from that have helped shape your career and who you've become today? Wow, great question. Two people at GitLab had such a big impact on me. Sid, the CEO, who's still the current CEO. Gosh, he taught me a thing or two about efficiency and simplicity, right? And not to really like ship fast, continuously improve something. It's not going to stay the same anyway. So unlearning perfection, which I think a lot of people struggle with. I really struggled with that in the beginning, but come a long way and love continuously improving things and deliver excellence, but not necessarily perfection. So Sid has been so incredible. I got to shadow Sid in San Francisco for an entire two weeks. I'll never forget that. That is a story I would want to tell over and over again. Uh, that exposure to the C-suite and to the board at the time, it was during financial kickoff. So amazing timing is next, like that's experience like a mini MBA, right? In two weeks. So love that journey and still inspired by how he's leading GitLab into the future, how that what they've achieved just in this year and ongoing from a product perspective and how they've remained a building public company at this scale post IPO is hard. And I'm pretty proud of that. My boss at the time that reported into Sid, Carol Teske, who's now at a company called Camunda, which was originally a, a German-based startup who's also completely remote first at this time and also in the product SaaS space. Carol gave me the most amazing gift of feedback. That was one of my first managers in my career that spent time on giving very specific feedback to help me improve. And I owe her on so many elements, right? On, on things that I needed to work on and develop. I think that made me a great leader um, afterwards at places like GitLab Remote onwards, right? Tescarilla, et cetera. Uh, she also turned me, uh, taught me how to not bang the desk. So like, you know, how companies uh, get very anxious when something happens and, and it's like an all hands on deck call and like the CEO nearly gets mad or the CPO is nearly like, literally like, you know, creating noise on her desk. I love how calm and collect Carol was during the most crisis times that we ever experienced at GitLab. And reflecting back, I feel like she's instilled that calmness into uh, me as a, a leader during tough times, turbulent times. There's so many other people. I, I mean, I feel like I need to provide a, a list and write this down. Kim Russia, who was at Oyster, she was at a competitor and who's an employer of record. Kim is this individual that can be so vulnerable in public, but speak for so many women in tech, inclusion in tech. She has been so courageous in sharing her thoughts that I think a lot of people in the world of chief people officer, VP of people, head of people struggles to say out loud sometimes. And she really shows up for that. I have found partnership with her in so many ways, being at two competitors. We were in the same community 
And instead, instead of ever becoming rivals, we, we always showed up to those conversations instead of competitors as uplifting other people in the world of HR, tech, women in tech, SaaS, layoffs, etc. So she's been a huge inspiration to me and I, I love staying in touch with her. There's many, 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 many others. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful to see how many people have impacted you and helped you along your journey. And that's, again, just the beginning. I know there's so many other people you'd like to thank. And it, it, I know it pains you not to be able to shout them all out, but you inspired Nadia. You're, you were very <laughs> thanked and you were appreciated. But Nadia, this has been absolutely incredible. I know Pizza and I have just learned so much from you and we appreciate you coming on here and, and giving out so much knowledge to our audience. Can you please tell the people where can they find out more about you, more about Tescarilla and whatever else you'd like to add? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Nadia Vatalidis. There's not many with this name and surname combination. <laughs> uh, and Instagram, I have a public account. You can follow me. I think it's called public Nadia Vatalidis. Um, my private account is just for friends and fam and my kids mostly becoming tweens and teenagers now in the world of social media. Yep. Yeah, I am always available uh, to support other peers in the world of work. I often jump onto calls with people that probably don't expect me to have a call with them to talk through challenges in asynchronous work, remote work, people and culture, employee relations, global labor relations, or even uh, contractor versus employees in the world of global distributed work. Beautiful. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, you heard her. Go connect with her on LinkedIn. Go find her. She is an open book and she's willing to help. And that's why we loved having her on this podcast. Nadia, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you for having me, please, Chris. It was amazing. Thanks for the great questions. Of course, of course. And to everyone listening to the New C Podcast, thank you very much. And until next time.